SonicState.com. Right then, uh, hello and welcome to Sonic Talk number 43. Uh, we're recording today on the 25th of April, that's a Wednesday. I'm going to be going live on the 26th of April, that's a Thursday, around about midday. Um, but that's pretty unimportant because I'll have edited this bit out, so it won't be of any use. Um, but this week, we've actually got uh, a new victim. Um, in fact, I'd say half of our guests are from the other side of the pond this time. So we've got uh, Richard Hilton. How are you, Richard Hilton? Very well, Nick, and a great pleasure to be with you and these fine gentlemen. Ah, well, it's a pleasure to have you. I mean, uh, I was just looking at your website, which is uh, hiltonius.com, and your your list of credits is uh, rather humbling. Um, But what are you doing at the moment? You're currently working with um, Nile Rogers, is that correct? Yeah, I've been with Nile for a good long time. We just uh, played a show uh, Monday night uh, where we had Paul Simon as a guest, actually, and it was great honor and fun to play with him and our band chic uh plays shows now and then around the world wow cool so is that pro- are you what's your role are you a kind of musician or engineer or programmer or all of the those all of that and then some i guess uh you know studio i, I am the studio okay i'm the entire staff ah okay i get it <laughs> haven't you even got anybody to make the tea that's me ah wow so a man of many talents I suppose. On a good day, maybe. <laughs> so I hope it's not too early for you, because uh, I know you're probably an hour ahead of PJ, because we've got PJ Tracy with us, who's also, he's from Minneapolis, the US. Hi, PJ. Good morning, Nick. Have you got your um, tracysound.com website up running? <laughs> no, not not at the moment. I'm I'm working with somebody who's helping me code, and that's a slow and laborious process. Okay. And this, this weekend, I took some time off to go to, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Bent Festival. Isn't that circuit uh, bending? Yeah, and uh, Minneapolis was hosting that this year, so I I spent the weekend there just uh, having fun with electronic toys. Oh, uh, that sounds really cool. It was really cool. I saw a guy perform with a couple of bent Game Boys and a bent uh, NES system, uh, the 86 version, and he he did all kinds of wacky video and audio experimentation, and it was a lot of fun. Um, Do they do them in the UK, or are they just sort of around the U.S.? I think for the moment it's just U.S. based and it's fairly small. I think there was maybe a uh, hundred attendees and all. Because uh, we've we've um, got a lot of those guys on um, have, have sort of featured in our Technomania and in a couple of instances in top uh, top twenty synths. And we're, yeah, I've seen that. That's we're, fantastic. We're doing actually um, our, our top twenty synths episode six is out today and it's a twenty five minute stormer. Actually, it's a great one. Simon's really pulled all the stops out. We're getting into the sort of fine print and detail of the top five. So. Everything gets a little bit more TLC. Dave Spears, you're here too, from GeForce Software. I am, yeah. Um, Apparently your kitchen's being, um, well, done right now. Yeah, well and truly done. Just the other (laughs) side of a slim partition wall. Uh, Yes. Do you think we're going to hear all sorts of uh, grievous noises? I think there's a fair chance. He's on a a rush job. So Mm. maybe we can play spot the power tool. If uh, if we hear anything going off in the distance, um, then perhaps we can... (laughs) We can chip in with what we think it might be. And I want to hear distinctions between a flathead screwdriver and crosshead. You know, I'm looking for that kind of level of detail. (laughs) Right, okay. Uh, Well, now we're all here. Dave, have you you come across any of these... Have you ever been to one of these circuit-bending conferences? Uh, No, but I went to a KVR meet where one of the guys does circuit-bent speak and spells, which is quite good. And it was brilliant. Yeah, we've got one of those. The guy who was hosting it just gave it to his kid all night long. He just came out with expletives all night in your ear. 
Nick, go give him one of those. He's also got a circuit bent telephone. <clears throat> I've I've um, built a circuit bent Furby. That was quite good fun. Oh yeah, I like oh, that. I'd like a Furby yeah. to and, be um, really rude. Can you do that? Various SK ones as well. Yeah, I have well, an SK one. Rich was there when I built the SK one, actually. I had never it's, seen anything like it in my entire life. <laughs> I guess I should point out this time that Rich Richard Hilton has been introduced to us by Mark Tinley, who uh, is a sort of long-time friend of, uh, of Rich. Was it right to you met working on the Duran stuff? Is that right? Yeah, Rich is the man that actually persuaded Duran Duran to part with their money and buy a proper Pro Tools system. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> to the incredible amazement of Mark Tinley yeah, at the absolutely time. Absolutely shocking. <laughs> he must be a very persuasive man. Richard, do you ever kind of come across any of the sort of circuit bent stuff in your line of work or is it just um is it mainly kind of straight ahead or you know? i i i'm aware of it taking place and i'm fascinated to learn that there is some sort of uh convention where guys get together with old video games that they've hacked i had no idea such a thing existed and i think it's fascinating really i met uh, just as a side note mark i met a guy who is a veritable expert in hacking and bending sk1s he's done over 150 of them yeah, he's claimed to find over 125 points on the SK-1 that he can bend. Could someone explain what 128 points mean? Does that mean points of patching that you can just kind of... Short outs on the board, I guess. On the board, on the uh, yeah, on the IC chips. <laughs> Places where if you solder through on the IC chips, you'll get uh, some sort of uh, unique <laughs> wackiness. Right, okay, 128 sounds like... Uh, a, it sounds a bit like some kind of um, magic number. Binary it's kind of a thing, binary yeah, thing, a binary. isn't it? And, and B... It sounds like a lot. I think we should definitely check that out. That sounds like a fascinating um, festival, and maybe we can find some coverage of it on the net. Ooh, what's happening there? Uh, hold on, let me see if I can identify that. I'd say that was a, a drill, uh, and often, quite often it sounds like maybe the oil going into the wooden pad handle has perhaps um, needs oiling, and that's why it's squeaking. Ah. Am I close? It's me messing with you. I just found a sound effects library of drills and pneumatic drills. Can you tell me what that was? Was I right in any way? Um, it was drill number two. So no, oh, I can't. I, I, want, I, want, I want full. I want fulsome descriptions. It's no good. A drill number two is just not acceptable. Mate. So worst album covers ever. What a treat, eh? You haven't introduced me. Oh, no, good. How could I forget? I think it's because you were initially... Mark, it's because I... I keep butting in. <laughs> okay, um, Mark Tinley is um programmer, engineer, sound artist, and um, all-round um, sort of... Noise burster. Noise burster. Yeah, that sounds like good. <laughs> no, yeah. Sorry about that, Mark. So what do we think? Did anyone find any particular favourites in there? There's, I think there's... How many are there altogether? I think there's 12 or so. The Millie Jackson one is quite remarkable. She kind of looks like a blow-up doll, doesn't she? It's kind of a really peculiar thing to portray herself as. Anyway, Ken by request only, I think, is one of my favourites. I don't, I don't think he's getting too many requests by the look of him. I like Satan is yeah. Real. I think that's rather cool. Satan is Real. <laughs> it is oh, pretty yeah. funny, yeah. By uh, the, Lu- the Louvin brothers. And they seem to be sort of transversing over some hot coals with the devil sort of imagery behind them. Looks a bit like Quatermass, that, actually. Uh, so, anybody else have a favourite? I like Millie Jackson myself. You like Millie Jackson? Yeah. Yeah, you can't beat that look. Uh, one for the ladies, then, in that case, should be uh, poor Primera Vez, which is Tino, who's um, sporting a sort of... <laughs> well, he looks like he's just about to play tennis or something, perhaps. I think the scariest one is Geraldine, Geraldine and Ricky, the dummy, and the woman with the dummy. 
You can't tell which one's made out of wood. Geraldine and, Tr- and Ricky, which appears to be a lady in a wedding dress, sitting on a picnic basket in a, in a tropical forest with a very large ventriloquist dummy, and the album is called Trees Talk Too, and presumably he's made of wood, so maybe that's some kind of punnery on the fact that he's made of wood. Uh, and just below, of course, is uh, Who Could Forget Joyce? Who looks remarkably like Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? What's, <laughs> what was that film? Tootsie. I think regarding titles, it, it's hard to beat All My Friends Are Dead. It's a very peculiar... All My Friends Are Dead by Freddie Gage. Read the fine print under that. I can, I can barely see it if I put my nose up to the screen, but it's, I think it says something about... Oh, yeah. yeah, a ministry dedicated exclusively to youth victims of drug abuse. There you go. Ah, uh, well, I suppose it's, it's a, we shouldn't we shouldn't laugh really because he's probably quite serious, and I hope he raised a load right. of money for for his ministry because um, obviously that's worthy work. Whereas um, if we're going to the religious route, I suppose we could look at the uh, right. uh, the God's Power, who seems to be a sort of kung fu preacher, karateist yeah, preacher, karate preacher. I like the look of him. He doesn't look like the fittest of gentlemen, though, does he? I wonder if he's looks just like, a bit a, like Marlon Brando, doesn't he? Yeah, late Marlon Brando, perhaps. But yeah, I thoroughly recommend this one. It's um, it's good fun. There's lots of uh, amusing images, and I'm sure people can find their own. I, I I'm trying to think. PJ, you actually sent me a rather fetching uh, album cover yourself. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure I can actually um. I can say what it was called, but uh, all I, I, can, I didn't think so. Yeah, uh, on air, and basically, it looks like about eight or nine gentlemen um, bending over and showing their bottoms in front of the American flag. Would that about cover it? I guess. Yeah, I guess that's about it. Which behind are you exactly? Because <laughs> I will be posting this in the show notes so people can examine it themselves. I'm the one all the way on the left. Well, that was a band I was in, and you can check out the the name, I guess, on the show notes. But uh, we had achieved a sort of cult punk status here in the in the midwest because we played with uh with gg allen the great the late great gg allen at one point and uh this was our last release back in the late 90s and uh we decided we were just going to do that for a show promotion where we were going to stand out in front of the club prince's former club first avenue and um moon the camera and then hang the the promotion for the show all over town, us kind of, you know, flipping off the camera, as it were, uh, in front of the club we were going to play. All right. But we wound up using it as an album cover and sort of photoshopping it to death. Did it work as a promotional tool? Uh, we had an amazing crowd the night we played. We actually uh, played, in, we played in a sidebar the same night that Mr. Bungle was playing, and I think we drew more people. And by the end of the night, uh, very sticky, because we had some devoted fans bring five-gallon buckets of chocolate pudding into the bar through the back door, and they started throwing it about. And so That sounds really, really weird. Even stranger <laughs> is that the trumpet player that was supposed to play with us that night showed up for soundcheck and then never made it to the gig because he wound up in a local bar drunk actually one of my favorite bands um names is called butt trumpet <laughs> um maybe we should move on i think we're kind of getting ourselves in a sticky morass of um below the belt kind of action <laughs> yeah oh i'm sorry gosh. about that i apologize <laughs> and maybe we should look at the uh serial ata drives now i know um because you know a lot of us are involved in moving enormous amounts of data around and i've actually never used a serial ata drive at all um, apart from internal on the map. This new hard drive, it's a new attack eSATA extender cable for 8-core and quad-core G5s. Um, it's like a PCI, it takes up a PCI slide, and presumably you plug it into the bus somewhere, and then you have an external 
route to a serial 88. They may not have one of my slots. Right, you don't <laughs> think it's worth a slot? You just can't have one. <laughs> what not about, for this, no. I'm not quite sure why you'd use it, to be perfectly honest, unless you're going to run naked drives on the back just to sort of, for backups. I mean, that might work. But funny, the drive manufacturers appear not to endorse that idea. I do it myself with uh, FireWire drives currently. Yeah. But apparently Seagate says this is not the best idea ever to assume that this thing is going to hook up some years later and play. If you're not using it, is it possible that, what, the grease in the bearings will go and they'll seize up? I mean, what's the? do you have to keep them in optimum commit conditions? I don't know how that would work. Or the, ma- the, the magnitude, the uh, integrity and elasticity of that magnetism that stores your data, I don't know. I haven't seen one go down, but I, you know, none of us have been doing it that long. Does that mean we've all got to get... Um, you know, very, very expensive um, tape drives, AIT drives. I mean, is that the only way? And will those, how long will those last? Well, it's a good question. I mean, the thing I found, <laughs> uh, I've, I used to have a tape drive. It was it was DDS. Um, but the problem is now I've got no interfaces on any of my current computers that will actually run it because it was a SCSI one. And it was you know it wasn't even ultra wide or anything. It was like SCSI one. So I've got a the whole last... box full of tapes that I just can't really do anything about. Right. Right, and a hundred years from now, will they know anything about this time period because of lost data? Mm. That's a, that's a really good question. I've got a sort of similar problem with Duran Duran at the moment because Nick's asked me to back up all of the masters from about ten years ago, and they were recorded on Akai Adam machines, and we've got two Akai Adam machines. I'm so scared of putting a tape in there because I think it will just eat the tape unless we get the thing serviced first. And nobody seems to know anybody that can service Akai Adams. So, don't a lot of hire companies have um, old format stuff for, just for that very thing for transfers and what have you? Generally, I don't. Uh, yeah, I hope so. If you can get uh, a blank hi tape and work with it in the machine for a while, yeah, it might, I make it sure might the build your okay. confidence. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I guess I'm the- going to send it. I'm going to send it and have it serviced to build my confidence, but it's finding somebody that can do that. There's there's the first hurdle. So. Oh, well, if anybody out there's got, got a solution or knows where we can get, um, in maybe in Europe, um, Akai Adams serviced, then um, let let us know and we'll pass that information on to Mark. Ah, yes, brilliant. Thank you. The new MN6 music production synthesizer. From Codename. Mimo. The 61 note portable synthesizer with incredible sonic power based on motive tone generation. Real time audio control, USB connectivity, and computer integration. Bundled with Cubase LE audio and MIDI sequencing software. Create. Produce. Perform. With the affordable and versatile MM6 music production synthesizer from www.mm6music.co.uk uh, There you go, that's an ad from uh, Yamaha there for their new MM6 synth. Uh, a lot of motive power in a very competitively priced package. Um, if you want to help us look good, then please click on the on the link. That's mm6music.co.uk I found this um, 12 breeds of client and how to work with them. I mean, I think it was pretty much um, aimed at people who are designing websites, but I think, you know, being any kind of creative interfacing with uh, people who are paying for your services, you can pretty much, um, there are 12, 12 types. So just to quickly run through it, you've got the low-tech client who's um, who just doesn't want to know anything and, uh, and basically says, can you fax it to me? Uh, and I guess the equivalent to that would be someone who uh, you spend, you know, they need, they need a soundtrack um, demo real, real fast, and then you have to play it to them down the phone and they tell you it hasn't got enough bass. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, the disinter- <laughs> the disinterested client, which is client number two, who um, basically just says, yeah, I don't know, just do it, okay. <laughs> and presumably once you've done it, doesn't like it. The hands-on client, who basically would do it themselves, but um, I don't know why they're not, but they're just paying you to do it. I think I'm probably that. Cli- number four is uh, the paranoid client who wants to sign- you to sign all sorts of NDAs. Or uh, How would that work if you've got someone who won't send you any demos, because but they want you to work on something, so you can't tell them whether you'll do the gig or not? Anyone had one of those? Uh, yeah, funnily enough, we do get a few of those. Uh, the client breed number five is the appreciative client who um, basically just loves everything you do, which are the best kind, generally, although you do feel a certain yeah. sense of responsibility for them, because obviously if you do something that makes them deeply unhappy, then something could, terrible might happen, because they're obviously a bit bipolar. <laughs> the I'll, I'll know it when I see it client is something that I think is perhaps p- peculiar or much more prevalent in music terms. Would anyone take care, agree with that? I am that client. Are you? It's a very vague brief. And then when you come up with something, it's like all it does is reinforce what they don't want, actually, rather than what they do want. Well, they want to see what you're going to come up with that might be cooler than what they thought of. But um, as I look at this article, it doesn't strike me as really being about 12 different breeds of client, but more, I, I have seen most clients, if you spend long enough with them, exhibit most or all of these qualities <laughs> at one time or another. I'm serious. I'm dead serious. Because of the nature of the vulnerability of the creative process or whatever, they all end up exhibiting some aspect of almost all of these. And the guy really nailed it with, these, with this list of 12, and maybe there's one or two missing. But the, it, this is like some kind of cool psychological as, you know, uh, analysis of the way things end up happening. But they all tend to exhibit some aspect of all of these things at some point if you spend long enough with them and even as they stand now as a list of 12 they kind of interact uh and overlap on some level you know and everybody wants a good deal and most guys you're lucky if you get a guy who will let you run with it a little bit to see what you come up with as far as i'm concerned in some level the most boring day in your life is when you walk in the guy thinks he knows exactly what you want and all you've got to do is execute what he already did yeah or, you know, I want it to sound like the demo, but better. Yeah. Working with Nile Rogers is quite different than that. He gives me a lot of room to try stuff. Thank God. I mean, I think the one thing that can work as an antidote to this is obviously if you've got a really tight deadline and um, the person that you're working for or with just can't spend any time on it, then they have to basically accept what it is that you come up with. So then you can... And sometimes, in a lot of strange ways... You tend you because you you work you have to work mostly on instinct in that sort of situation. You can kind of come up with things, even though it might you might not remember it as being the most enjoyable creative process you've ever done. When you listen to it back, maybe you know a couple of months later, sometimes it's kind of really fine work just because it's gone on instinct. Do you ever find that? Well, I find that you just get a vision of a project in your head and you you go for it. If you've got an afternoon to get it, you do it in the context of having an afternoon. If you've got years <laughs> as some of the projects that we've shared uh, have gone on then you know you spend years and you keep changing your mind and changing things some guys like to do that yeah i like working with nick because everything he does is good so like it doesn't you know if we're doing something and something get something gets done along the way it's always put in a special file or folder somewhere and kept for like you know another time so um but I, I like working with him also because he really, really pushes me. So if I come up with a whole set of ideas, he'll sit down and nitpick it to, like, nth detail, and then I have to go away and try harder and get it 
better or more right. But I listened back to those things I did with him like two months ago or something, and uh, and he's pushed me just that little bit further. So now I'm, you know, 10% better sound engineer every time, or 10% well, better a, yeah, music. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Although at the time, it's, it's not necessarily the most comfortable process. Dave, you do a lot of work for third parties. Um, I mean, you, do you, what, do you, what do you find? Is it sort of, do you have a kind of recurring theme or is it just sort of different every time? It's funny listening to Mark because I, I now, I mean, I'm lucky that I can pick and choose, but I only work with people who inspire me now. If the project doesn't turn me on in any way, I, I, don't, I don't do it. That's a good, good attitude. I like that. Yeah, no, I try and do that. That's probably why I haven't, I haven't got any work. <laughs> <laughs> But Rich, I mean, you know, you, you've kind of worked with some of the greats as well. So, I mean, presumably you um, are a man who's not short of work. So presumably you can you can choose things um, based on a number of criteria. What's the most important one for you? The most important one for me is uh, typically whether or not it's what Nile Rodgers is doing because I've been sort of chasing. I, I've been with him pretty much steadily for almost 20 years. Right. So, um, so you know, 85 to 90 percent of whatever list of credits you've seen is in conjunction with work that I did with him and people who came and sought him out. Um, I've been very th- incredibly fortunate in that regard, and over the course of time forged some really nice relationships with those people and friendships with those people. But uh, typically the introduction is made through their knowledge of or relationship with him. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, um, but presumably, I mean, there must have been occasions where... Um people have tried to headhunt you presumably well i've been hired by people outside of my uh responsibilities with nile to do other work say tour preparation or even performances with some of them and uh i'm always really flattered and you know thrilled and and the list of my friends who have awards and grammys and golden platinum as long as your arm who are you know producing little girls on spec is you know considerably long i mean there's there's just a lot of guys who aren't working at all so i'm just thankful for any kind of connection you know the search for a star uh, um we had that uh, perhaps a little bit for the u.s it's right in the u.s you're sort of in the grips of it at the moment the sort of fever of it um and as a result we just got tons and tons of manufactured pop acts and bands and what have you i mean is that happening to a very great degree in the u.s scene as well uh, as far as i know i mean i i am absolutely no barometer of the broader social culture. And I do not watch American Idol except by accident. And, and for a multitude of reasons that I'm not sure I want to no, perhaps <laughs> not. discuss publicly. But but uh, but let's just say I some of the judges are suspect in my view in terms of their qualification. I think um, it does sort of tend to dr- drive a, a cynicism of pop music, though, a little bit. And I think we suffered from it quite a lot um, over here. I think America has it worse as well, though, because the radio controls so much of what people actually get to hear. Absolutely. So some, someone may be absolutely brilliant. They may go to a record company, get the biggest record deal. The record company will send the stuff out to radio to gauge a reaction from, like, uh, what do they call them? Those listening pools of people that check out new music and decide, you know, whether it's appropriate or not. And that that kind of those hundred people who listen to it before it even goes to radio will decide a music music's fate completely. And the record company will drop someone if they don't get a good reaction back from those those that kind of test panel. 
there's a whole other level of, of uh, filtration there, too, in the, in the form of radio promoters, which is sort of the legal version of payola. You have to, record companies have to spend upwards of 500000 to a million dollars to some of these guys in order to get their songs on certain radio stations and markets around the U.S., and it's all predicate on their relationship with the program director at the time or, you know, what they think is good. And, I mean, it, there's no guarantee that after dropping a boatload of cash on this guy's lawn that he's going to do anything for you. And so I think that there's a huge, you know, there's a huge tenuousness when it comes to trying to get something onto radio in the U.S. It's it's not that it can't happen or that or that people can't get lucky or that, you know, that your your tunes <clears throat> weren't completely outstanding. It's It's just the nature of... I guess the stratification of genre, that type of thing, yeah. can be really detrimental to a band. You know, a band might be really, really good, but some promoter doesn't know which genre to plug them to, doesn't know whether they're triple A or, you know, alternative rock. And if you're not getting played on alt rock, then there's no way you're going to get played on pop radio because you haven't hit it there first and you're too heavy, that type of thing. I mean, it's, there's so... There's so many particulars involved in trying to get onto radio that here's the other thing, you know, things don't always come up through college radio. You might have a band that a, that a record company has invested a tremendous amount of money in, and they haven't, they haven't even really put in a, a ton of time on college campuses, which which maybe is a is not a you know not a good thing. And so the the CMJ papers aren't even really aware of what they're doing, and they're already trying to push them to pop radio and to alternative radio and that type that type of thing. And so they're throwing a lot of money at that, and they didn't have the proper time to build up. You know, I, I don't think this happens so much anymore. But I'm thinking more of a decade ago because I, I I don't think I don't think a record company will even touch somebody that hasn't you know sold five thousand, ten thousand units at the least on their days. own, off their own yeah, sort of yeah yeah. yeah. I'm not sure where we started from or where we're going, but... We were on 12 Breeds of Client, I believe. Yeah, when we got to number eight. <laughs> oh, we? Well, I, I think, you know, I think the point being, go and have a look at it, and if you work in any sort of creative field, I think you'll probably recognise a number of these types of people, um, and uh, it was just a bit of fun, really, and it's kind of written very humorously, so... Uh, Trinity Audio Group Tablet Audio Workstation. Um, this is a, a, a Linux-powered... Um, tablet PC, as far as I can tell, with a built-in audio interface that allows you to run various uh, Linux um, doors and um, plugins and effects and what have you. But it's uh, internal battery powered, and it's supposed to be uh, uh, able to, um, you know, take out of the studio. Um, can anyone see, you know, how they might uh, find a use for this? Yeah, I can. I'd, my, my whole life revolves around a laptop, anyway. So, I mean, I just see this as a more dedicated way of doing that. I quite like the idea of all the um, Linux plugins having access to all of those sorts of things. And I would use it for doing field recordings, but also for, I mean, I just like to be able to make music anywhere. So the idea of being able to sit in the garden and go and record vocals might be nice. Portable audio, it's important to me, so... I want one, I think. I suppose, I mean, the, the only thing I was thinking about it is obviously, you know, it's great to have multi-track stuff, but surely, you know, if you're working with anybody uh, aside from yourself, compatibility is an issue, isn't it? I mean, you know, if you do a load of stuff with a bunch of plugins and you take it over to their system and they haven't got one of these or they're not running Linux, which they're probably not, to be honest, on their on their you know main system, you have to bounce everything down and take it back. So you wouldn't actually be able to kind of work on it in, in terms of, you know, like taking a laptop with Logic, if your client or your the, your collaborator is using Logic, you can, you know, you can use, you can simultaneously work on it rather than just kind of take it away and do something in the garden. That doesn't 
you know, really affects things so much now. There's much more um, kind of coherence between PCs and Macs. It's much easier to just network things and move stuff around. So if well, you can true, output yeah. WAV files or AIF files or whatever, you should be able to get it from one to the other, I would have thought. Don't know. It's got 100 but, bases in it. I mean, it should have gigabit, really, to be, um, you know, to move that kind of stuff around. Dave Spears, um, are you still there? Yeah, sorry, I was mesmerised by um, Millie Jackson's crystal ball. Oh yes, well, it's, a, it's a fine look. It's a fine sight. Do you, I mean, because you know you're a software developer. I mean, you, can you see any kind of great future for this? Uh, not as a developer, no. Um, but I mean, I do quite a lot of field recordings, and I quite like the idea. I need to work out how big this is actually, and how much is it? Uh, it's ten ten inches, ten point seven inches wide by. Six inches deep by two inches high. I think yeah. it's a thousand dollars, isn't it? Yeah, it's about a thousand it? bucks. Oh, okay, so it's not killer. It's not you know. Mega I mean, expensive. in terms of because obviously the the dollar is two to one at the moment for the UK pound, so that's a pretty yeah, fine yeah. deal. It's I mean, good, yeah. But the other thing is, I mean, it's like a, it's a you know you put drum machine software in it and it becomes a drum machine, or you put uh, your analog synth in it. We all have those things kicking around, like drum machines and synths and various other bits and pieces which we use in conjunction with our other stuff. So, I mean, I was thinking maybe something like this combined with the Muse research, um, the receptor, you know, running on something like this might be kind of a really funky idea because then you could you could use it as a standalone instrument as well, you know, like you were saying, Mark, but have, you know, access. Because I, I, as oh, far as yeah. I understand, receptor is a Linux-powered or Linux shell at least. I don't know whether it's got enough juice to actually run some of those things. I don't know quite what uh, what it's got. It doesn't say. Is it? Well, it's a, yeah, it's a fanless 500 megahertz low power CPU with 256 megs of RAM. So it's not going to do a whole lot of real time stuff, is it? No, I guess not. I mean, I, I am interested in something that would run all of these LADSPAR plugins, the Linux plugins, because I mean, all the people that go to college in America that don't write things for, um, you know, Barclay music students or whatever the, the software equivalent of that is, who don't write things for Max MSP, and which I don't like, write things, interesting things for this LADSPAR platform because it's sort of, you know, all but it's all part of the Linux philosophy and of um, freeware and sharing processes and developing ideas and stuff. And I want access to some of those sort of, you know, the fresh ideas that people are coming up with. Yeah, I mean, maybe as a kind of multi-tracker, this looks like it would work. Um, you can only record two things at a time by the looks of things. It's got two built-in inputs, uh, mic inputs on those uh, Neutrik combination jacks. You're saying it only records a stereo input? By the, by the looks of things, yeah. So it's that's okay for me. I can only play the guitar and sing at best. <laughs> so no, that's, that's fine for me too, but then again, an inbox is fine for me. Or some $300 M audio device or whatever. I mean, I don't get yep. it. I well, totally I think it's got USB thing. as well, so maybe you could actually plug in a multi-channel um, audio interface into it and have access to more ins and outs. I don't know. We'd have to, uh, have, to have a chat. I'm hoping to have a chat to... Uh, it's inventor, um, and um, you know we can find out a bit more about it and see what his his you know his idea is. Um, but you know, I, I think it's a it, it's an interesting development, and for the size of it, it looks like a, it's a very desirable thing. It's got that desirable quality. I mean, looking at this, I mean, if it's supposed to be a field recorder, the fact that the knobs stick out um, by you know an inch and a half on both ends is going to be a bit of a problem, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and the fact that you know you're going to need some fairly serious. Um, you know, or some kind of custom case to kind of throw it around, really. So, I mean, 
they'll probably have to maybe revise that a little bit once they've done some field testing. But um, I'll do some field testing. I'm really good at breaking things. I'll see whether <laughs> I can get it, get you a gig there. But we're going to hopefully talk to its inventor. But uh, yeah, it's still it's still in the kind of prototype. But I mean, there you know, it's, it seems to be firming up every time I go to the website. There's sort of more detail and more things. So I think we're going to see it fairly soon. That's uh, TrinityAudioGroup.com. Uh, they call it the next generation portable recorder. So uh, hop over there and have a look if it's interesting to you. Oh, there was this. Um, did anyone see that uh, time travel, the the time freezer plugin? Yeah, I did, and I've bought yeah. it immediately. Have you? I was yes, like, cool. oh, I need that. Oh, I'm well, waiting for uh, them to send me the email so I can download it. Who wants to go? Did you see that, Rich? Yeah, I thought, and I thought of Mark immediately. Well, I saw it, and I thought of Mark immediately. I mean, I suppose you could describe. There's a really interesting demo on there. Um, that there's um, where a guy is just basically singing into it, you know, not very well, but he's to demonstrate the kind of capture of of vowel sounds and e's and oohs, and it's it just sounds it's a real sort of ambient tool, isn't it? But you can, um, well, I, I imagine you could spend hours messing with it. It reminds me of the. Can you remember the Insonic um, ASQ10 sampler? Oh yeah, that had a that had a synthesized loop function in it, and you could loop absolutely anything in it, and and if you took like the the front edge of a snare and then looped, uh, sort of you know the body of it, you'd get like these massive, huge kind of snare reverb kind of kind of sounds where it had synthesized a loop that was completely smooth, but sounded more like a reverb. It kind of reminds me of that, except you know that technology but moved on further and in real time. It reminded me a little of the uh, Quantum Room Simulator. Quantec room simulator was it? There was it was like a with the hold button. Yeah, that had a hold button. Yeah, basically, I think that was responsible for pretty much a whole era of Peter Gabriel albums. Um, (laughs) Because I know he has one, and you know I've used it uh, at Real World, so I know it's there, and I know that it was used for um, a lot of the kind of drones. Yeah, Duran Duran have got one of those as well. I I really love playing. They're Australian. It's Australian, but this this looks like a plugin that's capable of an awful lot more because you can mess around with the formant and the. Well, I couldn't quite tell because the the image was quite small, but it did look fascinating. This reminds me of the GRM tools uh, plugins. There was a plugin that they put out uh, six or seven years ago called freeze uh-huh. it does a very similar thing <clears throat> to this plugin where you can take a capture a piece of audio and it'll loop seamlessly so you can grab a, a piece of a vowel or a piece of a consonant and have it loop seamlessly and uh, you can fool around with the comb filtering of it and all types of things all manner i love of the grm tools i really, yeah, really it really kind nice. of reminds me of the uh, roland v synth a little bit as well because that has the, the same thing going on with formants and stuff I really like the way you can interact with this thing in real time and and generate and generate textures like that. It, it's a very nice kind of performance environment. I thought in their video in their demo anyway. It's called Time Freezer by Physical Music by a chap called Mark Link. It's available for VST for Mac and Windows. It's a shame it's not uh, audio units because that would be uh, cracking on some of these Intel Macs. Presumably you could have a bunch of them together and do all sorts of wonderful things. But uh, you can always you can always use a wrapper, I guess. But it comes in two formats. There's Time Freezer VST FX and there's a Time Freezer VSTi instrument. I'm not quite sure of the distinction between the two. Uh, I watched the Time Freeze demo and it sounded um, great. And I recommend you go. I might be able to play a little bit of it now. Let's have a look.
can get a sort of flavour of that, and that's just him kind of talking directly. There's there. another. There's another thing it reminds me of as well. Has anyone used that Delay Llama plugin? Oh yeah, that's yeah, fantastic. Brilliant. Yeah. That's brilliant. Kind of like that. The Delay Llama, yeah, because he he just basically does throat singing, doesn't he? Um, and you can control him. That's really funny, actually. That one. Can you get that? Um, you can still get that for OSX. Will it work on OSX? Because last time I saw it, it was an OS9 plugin. OS9, I used that one as well. But the, yeah, the Delay Llama was basically, as far as I can remember, an animation of a sort of Buddha type figure. Um, sitting there just doing some Tibetan throat singing, and you just kind of got con- to control the 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 vowel sounds. But it was a laugh, wasn't it? You can make some really cool drones with that. Well, it looks like Time Freezer might well be a, a, a certainly a way to replace that, and and some by a whole bunch. What's the What's the price yeah. on that? Ninety nine bucks. Ninety nine. Okay. But uh, there is an OSX um, VST beta of Delay Lama. Is there really? SonicState.com There's some new technology which I'm sure will excite all of us here, which is called Push Ringer. And it's uh, from a company called uh, uh, Emotive Communications. Uh, and they've just had 7.7 million bucks invested in them by um, Bertelsmann, uh, Warner Music, and various other angel ev- investors. And what they do is, as far as I can gather, it's um, it's a push. It's called a push ring, and it reverses the common ringtone model. It enables the caller to push an outgoing ringtone to the receiving f- phone, allowing the caller, not the call person, to tell the tone to set the tone. Can you imagine the chaos? I want this. I want this. Yeah, absolutely. We when we uh, when I used to tour, we had a habit, a nasty habit. I hasten to add of any session players or any players in a band that had a slightly dodgy past with some um, iffy records, we would always put those on at soundcheck or as they were walking on stage. <laughs> this, this way, I can t- turn it into a ringtone and then ring them. At three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah, with their own dodgy music. It's going to be brilliant. <laughs> I was talking to the guy that does the Duran Duran ringtones and he was saying that the networks in this country, in England, if you were using video ringtones, wouldn't be ex- uh, capable of... A- of accepting the file size quickly enough to make it actually work in any kind of sensible time frame. So you'd ring someone, and like 30 seconds later, their phone would ring after they <laughs> downloaded the video or the music or whatever. So he was saying he couldn't see how it could work here in England, but it might work in the US. Maybe you're right, in the US, um, 3G, 4G, and you know that kind of stuff is much more prevalent, and the coverage is better. I don't know. I don't, I'm not there. What do you think, PJ? Uh, yeah, I would imagine that it is <clears throat> from what you're saying about, about Britain, but I wasn't aware of your, your situation over there. I, I, I'm not personally for this technology. I, th- I, think it's a, I think it's just another step towards the invasion of personal privacy. Well, I, I'd just like to say, PJ, I mean, you were saying you weren't sure that it was good, but can't you see, I'm just going to read a bit of copy here, it moves beyond traditional mobile personalization by adding value and to the ringtones users purchase for their own phones and providing content recommendation and impulse purchase opportunities for the users friends and family and co-workers this new technology represents a vastly more active expressive and compelling form of call personalization than exists in today's ringtone market which is otherwise showing signs of leveling off what a fantastic piece of marketing nonsense <clears throat> you've converted me the reason the ringtone market should showing signs of leveling off is because nokia and all the other manufacturers now manufacture manufacture phones that you can add your own MP3s to. So my Nokia N73 
I just simply put whatever MP3 track I want in here as my ringtone and set it as the ringtone. I don't have to buy anything from anyone or go and yeah. download anything. It's yeah, just, and uh, this this brings up a, a philosophical a philosophical quandary that I think might go beyond the scope of this show. But it's is is it wrong that a market levels off? Do all markets have to infinitely expand? I mean, where is this going to lead to people beaming ring, ringtones into your dreams in 2050? I mean, it's it's unbelievable sometimes to me that they want to push things so far. And I, I mean, this may not be an example of that, but I just where I, does it I all end? It. Yeah, where does it end? Yeah. I, th- I like the idea well, of branding stuff in your dreams. You know, you could have... <laughs> you wake up, wake up the following morning with a compelling desire to go and buy, uh, I don't know, a Mac Mini or whatever, the co- you know, or an iPod or something. It's funny you say that, Nick, because I made a joke back in the late 90s with a friend, and I said, one, one day we're going to see people tattooing Coca-Cola on their forehead and getting paid for it. And uh, a couple of know? years ago, this happened. Hello. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, as regards this... Uh, throwing content down the wire at people concept, I think that the phone companies will either come to the conclusion on their own or be forced to realize that they will have to make this a defeatable feature at the receiver end. Oh, of course, yeah. People will insist if they don't do it on their own. At the moment, I get pushed text messages with kind of various content on them anyway, uh, from the, which is spam. So, I mean, imagine how many bloody rings you're going to get with, from companies. You know, if I get a company who's trying to sell me double glazing, are they just going to actually, rather than rather than talk to me, they'll just send me their ringtone as a kind of <laughs> advert. It'll be an advert, you know, that plays. It'll be double like a glaze, jingle, you know. Double glazing. Exactly. I mean, where does that that is what is going to happen. And people are just going to be going, oh, my God, you know, throwing their phones in the toilet. You know, at least I will be. That's... Shards of broken glass. <laughs> Sounds like somebody chewing on them. Actually, last week we did a little bit of um, mixer feedback nonsense. I did a little bit of that, and one of our news items was uh, about some, another YouTube video of mixer feedback. And Mick, Mark um, sort of pondered whether it would be possible to do it with Logic. And uh, Mark, you actually did, didn't you? I have, yeah. I tried doing it with Pro Tools, but Pro Tools seemed intelligent enough to know that something was horribly wrong when I was feeding the buses back into themselves, and the, the levels went through the roof, and then it silenced itself. And I tried doing the same thing with Logic, which um, realised something was going horribly wrong, and then it kind of just switches the audio off to present, prevent your speakers from getting damaged, I guess. Yeah. But I discovered that if I put limiters on the channels, that it didn't realise that I was feeding things back into themselves, and I was able to sort of get it to feed back on itself and create a, a, a piece of music, which I sent you, didn't yes, I? Yes, I'm just going to play a little bit of that. Um, here we go. And that's basically all digital, right? Yeah. And I, you sent me the logic file as well, and I sort of was running it for a little while, and that's exactly what happened to my uh, system, was it just sort of went click, and then wouldn't play anything, and I had to reboot logic for it to come on again. But you can automate all sorts of stuff with it in terms of uh, um, 
you know, like uh, delay, you had a load of plugins and what have you on there. And I thought, you know, that would be really good for um, maybe doing some more textual stuff. I haven't had a chance to listen to it all, but I will post it up um, in the show notes as well. If, if you don't mind, can I put the Logic song as well so people can see what you did? I want to see if anybody can get any other notes other than the one I got, because it seems to be fixed on that note. Well, I, I noticed into- you had some fairly extreme Q settings on the EQ, and I found moving those around a little bit. Um, yeah, yeah, that's good. That's yeah, it doesn't change the note, though. It just plays... Um, it plays fundam- uh, fundamental harmonics overtones, yeah, of the of the underlying note. So it doesn't sort of change the actual note. Well, maybe so. But anyway, Mark, thank you very much for sending that over. And uh, I'll put that in the show notes and make the Logic song available to people so they can try it out. Obviously, that's only going to be for Mac use. But if anyone wants to send me some Cubase experiments, be happy to um, to post them on the show just as a sort of ongoing kind of how much musical feedback can you get out of digital software kind of project. Oh, yeah, the Nine Inch Nails Reactive CD. Did anyone see that? That was cool, wasn't it? Yep. Mm. I love that. Yeah, I really like the idea of that. Does it stay white? Uh, well, no, apparently what it is, is uh, it's a black CD that when you put it into the uh, into the CD player, because of the heat generated um, just from the mechanics or what have you, it changes colour and it comes out in this kind of funky kind of white with black lines on it. Um, and it, when you take it out, it returns to its original state. Ah. And gradually, so it sort of goes brown and kind of, and everybody's been kind of raving about it. And it, what it is is uh, this uh, CD from Nine Inch Nails called Years. It's Zero. like those cups they use for advertising, where you put your hot tea in and it changes and something appears on the cup, right? Also, it's a very good marketing tool to stop people from just buying digital downloads, don't you think? Yeah. Which is yeah, kind of, it's... I suppose, you know, it's it's sort of the equivalent of um, coloured vinyl seven inches in the punk days. Yeah. It's a collector's item. Sort of about time, because, I mean, you know, CD packaging, it, it, up until now, a lot of it's been about the airbox, which is uh, kind of pretty offensive in, this, in these days of trying to save re- and conserve resources. So it's, it's quite a nice idea. I mean, it's, you know, takes it, uh, takes it back to the start of collecting something that's a physical object that represents the music you bought. I think it's kind of quite nice. I've seen what? CD singles that are actually physical shapes of things. They're quite interesting. So they just play the, the inner part of the cd but then you know the outside is a sort of a shape yeah oh that's cool it, i just think they're happy to have any means by which to sell a physical product at this point yeah and it, uh if they can make it change colors that's great you could almost have it like the charlie and the chocolate factory golden ticket so you know you put it in your cd player and it changes color and re- to reveal you have won you know whatever it is that you might have won that would encourage sales wouldn't it dave yeah. What do you think? Sorry, I was looking at Tino's packed lunch. <laughs> <laughs> they, are, they are a fine... <laughs> I wonder what flavour sandwich that is. Yeah. I was just saying, if it had a thermal secret too. <laughs> no, I like it. I thought they do some cool stuff. It was soundtrack, wasn't it, that they did the, uh, you know, all the multi-tracks. Oh, yeah, that's right. Did they make those av- totally available? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, good concept. Like it. And um, I, I saw that via Dig, and um, there is about a million miles of comments on that whole on, on that thread. So if you want to go and read um, some more comment on that, you can get over to Dig. I'll, I'll put the URL in the show notes again. Sonic State. Excellent. Well, that takes us on to The Simpsons. That's light and airy. Simpsons are 20 years ah. old. Can you believe it? Can you believe yeah. it? How can something be so universally liked and yet kind of have... A, such a sort of subversive t- subversive tinge and cheeky a- aspect to its humour. 
How did it get away with it for so long? Yeah, it's very, very cool. I love the adult humour in it that's sort of interweaved in amongst the children's cartoon and all the stuff that goes straight over your kids' heads. And they're all, all my kids look at me and they're going, why was that funny? And I'm sitting there laughing my head off at various different, you know... Explain that to your children. some yeah. things. But, yeah, and I'm thinking, well, I can't really explain it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> you know, I, th- I think one of the reasons why that might be is James L. Brooks. He... um First of all, most things he touches turn to gold. And then the second thing is he, I heard in an interview with him once that he cut a deal with Fox early on that prevented them from editing the show in any way. So there was no network feedback for that show. And thereby you'll get jokes thrown in there about the Fox network and other Fox shows occasionally, and they can get away with it without reprieve from the network itself. And I think it's that level of creative freedom that allowed them to do, you know, things they wanted without uh, you know, suit suit interference that might have uh, curtailed the creativity of the show. Well, and that cross generational appeal that it has um, is probably the most profound of its type since perhaps Bugs Bunny and those that golden era of Warner Brothers animation, yeah. where you had that um, second layer of adult humor always simmering above the thing. There was, one pro- there was one program on television here in America at one point, I believe it was the Inside the Actors Studio program, where they had the yep. entire cast on stage I talking saw about it. Yep. And it was really great fun to watch all these incredibly gifted people talking about what great fortune they've had in this business and getting to portray such rich characters. And they all do, most of them, or at least some of them do, of a whole variety of the voices. Uh, Hank Azaria and uh, Harry Shearer uh, both do a bunch of voices, and I think there's others who do more than one as well. What's your favorite Simpsons character? Uh, How do you say his name? That guy, the Indian guy who runs the store. Oh, yeah, no, he's great. Dave? I am Homer. <laughs> Certainly in this house. The shortest catchphrase in the history of catchphrases. Yes. Rich? I think I'm going to have to go with Maggie. Ah, oh, sweet. <laughs> I, I, I think I kind of Mr. Burns is one of my favourite characters, um, uh. primarily because I I suffer from a little hair loss, and I just remember the series where he's <laughs> uh, he's trying to uh, impress Marge um, and sort of whisk her away from uh, from Homer because he has a crush on her, and uh, he's waxing his head, <laughs> and uh, he kind of. He he look he he goes to rest his rest his uh, his head in his hand as he's looking dreamily at Marge and because he's waxed his head he sort of slips onto the table. <laughs> and I, just, I, I don't know why I don't wax my own head, but uh, I just identify with that somehow. Uh, and I also like the catchphrase "release the hands." <laughs> Homer has a line in in one of the episodes. I think it was in the mid nineties, their season finale, and he and Marge are trying to reinvigorate their marriage by having um, relations in public places. And uh, Marge asks Homer if what they're if she th- if he thinks what they're doing is wrong, and he says, "Marge, my friend, I don't think anything I've done in my entire life is wrong." <laughs> what a great epitaph! <laughs> oh. I'm the scientist chap. That's who I like. What's his name? Professor Frink. Professor Frink. Frink. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Okay, chaps, well, I think we'll probably end on that Simpsons note because um, we've been going a little while and uh, I can once again see the edit hours adding up. Um, so um, I'd just like to say, Richard Hilton, thank you ever so much for joining us. 
Oh, a great pleasure indeed. Uh, thank you for having me. And just remember, you can check out what Richard's up to over at Hiltonius.com, although I did notice your blog was uh, last updated in November 2006. Yes, indeed, it's true. I've <laughs> neglected it. I've neglected it. Uh, Dave Spears from G4 Software. Thank you. Um, thank you. I uh, did not too many kitchen tool related um, interruptions there, so uh, oh, it's I think all right. we did we very got, well. We, yeah, we got away with it. G4Software.com. Remember, guys, go and check them out for the finest instruments and plugins. PJ Tracy from Minneapolis, uh, thank you also for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much, Nick. And that sounds like it could be Mark Tinley in another power tool sound effect for me. Um, I'm not sure. That sounded like a whisk. <laughs> it was meant to be power drill spinning freely, labours when hits would release, then drilling metal, close perspective. <laughs> Damn, I knew it was. I was close. <laughs> Sonic. Statesman. What's called?